Church. My name is Pierre Limbugua and I'm a 17-year-old senior at Nightdale High. I've been a member of this church for several years and I've been also been a part of the youth group for a slightly shorter amount of time. But I've been an avid and deliberate follower of Christ for the last seven years. I'm standing here before you today to share my test testimony. I was born in Kenya to a largely Christian home. My mother and father ensured that I was exposed to the church and the Bible, and I memorized, mem memorized verses. From the first pages of scripture where God creates the world to the last pages where he returns and most stories in between. But most importantly, they showed me the gospel, who Christ was, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. In many ways, they were the first ministers to me. But the understanding of salvation largely escaped me. In 2009, my family moved to America. During this time, my family joined a church that welcomed us, and I was right at home when I realized that their Bible verse, their Bible and mine were the same. Theirs just had more cartoonish drawings to appeal to people my age. It is during this time that I became largely interested in the Bible, specifically, why would God choose to die for us, the people who did not love him and the people who were set against him. And after much searching, it appeared I came across verses and various scripture that said that it's because he loved us and that's why he chose to die for us. And that it was wondrous to me that this great God would choose to demonstrate his love by dying for me. And if he chose me, then I would gladly follow him. And it was Romans 10, 9 through 10, that reinforced the message of salvation for me, stating, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you, that you profess your faith and are saved. One day, the gospel message made the 12-inch journey from my head to my heart, and I believed with my, all my being that Jesus Christ was Lord. You see, there was a difference in knowing the gospel in my head and knowing it with my entire being. You see, with one, your life changes upside down and your worldview is changed, and the other is knowing with your head. In years following my declaration, I shared my newfound faith continuously, much in the same way as this testimony. But in recent times, through various people in my life, I have been able to share my faith intellectually and socially. Because even though I knew what I believed, and I knew why I believed what I believed, I was never effectively able to communicate what I believed. Not because the information was largely was unfamiliar to me, but because I was awkward and I was sometimes off-put by various reactions to my faith. But also because I didn't know what to expect, I didn't know what reactions people were going to have when I told them that I believed that Jesus Christ was Lord. My hope for the future rests in the hope that God will use me in whatever career I'm in. It is my hope that for the rest of my life that I will be effective for the kingdom of God.
Ripken. I was asked to uh, give a message from Scripture this morning, went along with Youth, youth Week, and I accepted for some reason. <laughs> so here I am. Um, after much thought, I decided I was going to talk about prayer this morning, specifically the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I do that because I think prayer is incredibly important, that along with the study of the Bible, prayer is one of the two foundations of the Christian faith. Uh, Martin Luther said that he, if he failed to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil would get the victory through the entire day. Um, Matthew Henry said, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. Um, George Whitfield, the man who was one of the largely responsible for the um, Great Awakening, said that he spent whole days and even weeks prostrate on the ground in silent or vocal prayer. Um, C.H. Spurgeon said prayer can never be an excess. And um, someone else said prayer is the acid test of devotion, that you can really measure how, how much a Christian is really devoted to Christ by how much they pray to him. And um, that's really convicting to me, at least. Um, James 5.16 said the prayer of the righteous is great power as it is working. And First um, Thessalonians 5.17 said pray without ceasing. So seeing as how important prayer is and how much we're supposed to be doing it, it's important that we know how to pray, um, that we're praying in line with how God wants us to talk to him. And God, being the all-knowing Father and good God that he is, has provided us with a way to pray, which he has told us, this is how I would like you to pray. And that's the Lord's Prayer. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer and just kind of go into what it's saying as far as how we're supposed to pray to God. So if you'd open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 13. Pray then. Well, let's wait a second. People are still talking about this. <laughs> Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now this prayer splits nicely, splits nicely into two sections. The first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done, are all about God, his glory, and what his plan is. And then the last three petitions, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation, are all about man and our needs, um, that we get food, that our sins are forgiven, and that we uh, can avoid temptation. Um, so let's start at the beginning with, hallowed be your name. What is, what is this talking about? When it says hallowed, that's an old English word that we really don't use very much anymore. It's similar to Halloween to some degree. Um, what it really means is sanctify. Pretty much everywhere else in the Bible, when this word is used, it's translated as sanctify. But they've left it as hallowed here because it's tradition. So what this is saying when it says hallowed be your name, Jesus is praying that he would regard the name of God as holy. That um, he would honor, esteem, value, treasure the name of God as holy because of who God is. And when I see this, that just stands in stark contrast to the way that our culture is these days as far as just flippantly using the name of God. Oh my God, I swear to God. People, the person of God is just not revered as he... As, he, as we're supposed to do that. Even in the church, this happens. Um, the church has a rightful disdain for when someone uses profanity, which is great, 
But at the same time, some people kind of just look past somebody and says, oh, my God, or something. It's, to me, it just seems so much more important and so much worse to profane the name of God than to use um, some profanity. As bad as that is, I think that we should um, be much more concerned about uh, using the name of the Lord in vain. And that's how this prayer starts off. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, the first concern of the prayer is with the glory and the honor of God. And that's how we should pray. We should always begin our prayers um, by glorifying God for who he is. We, even in the Old Testament, when you see people praying, even no matter how bad a situation they're in, almost, in, almost always they um, begin their prayers by talking about who the God they're praying to is. And that makes sense because... The, the reason we can pray to God and ask him for things is because of who he is. If he, didn't, if he was not who he was, he could not do the things that he does. So we start our prayers by reminding ourselves of who the God that we pray to is. The next thing, the next petition is, your will be, or your kingdom come. So what is this talking about? Uh, the word for kingdom, uh, Bethelia in the Greek, carries a denotations of reigning as well. It could also be translated as your reign come, interestingly. Um, so this is looking forward to the second coming of Christ, when we will have a physical Christ reigning in Jerusalem. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we're praying, we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ, when we will um, have a new body and we'll be away from sin, and we'll have a, a physical Christ reigning in Jerusalem. This is also a missionary prayer, because God's kingdom, or reign, exists in the hearts of people to the, to the extent that they submit themselves to him. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying that God, people would submit themselves to the reign of Christ in their life, to the authority of God over their life. So this is a missionary prayer. We pray that America, that the world, that Puga County, which we pray for, that these places would, that God's kingdom would come there and that those people would submit themselves to Christ's authority in their lives. Um, that's the second petition. The next one, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'd start here by saying that God's sovereign will is always done already. Uh, Psalms 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Isaiah 46.10 says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purposes. So God's, everything that happens is in line with God's sovereign purposes. So that's not what this is referring to here. When we say your will be done, we're talking about God's will of command, if you want to give it a name. As far as, this is the will of God for our lives. Not necessarily his sovereign will. This is talking about what God's will is for us as we live. Um, for example, Matthew seven twenty three says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there it is again, the will of God. If you do the will of God, you enter into heaven. It's the Christians who do the will of God, and those who are not Christians who don't do the will of God do not go to heaven. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So when we pray, your will be done, we're talking about these things, that people would obey God's laws, God's commandments in the Bible, that they would do what God has called them to do um, wholeheartedly, joyfully, and obediently. And then you have the phrase on earth it is in heaven. Now that goes right along with what this will is talking about here because God's sovereign will is done in earth and in heaven. 
you know, whatever he decrees will happen. But God's will of command in heaven is obeyed perfectly. When God commands the angels to do something, they do it immediately, perfectly, wholeheartedly, joyfully, obediently, submissively. But here on earth, it takes God multiple prodding to get us to do some do things sometimes. It could take, you know, he has to go over and over again before he can find before we finally get off our butts and do what he's telling us to do. Um, we often don't do things wholeheartedly. Joyfully is another one. Very rarely. I know I'll do something. I'll come to work, or not work, but like to a church work day or something because our family's coming and, you know, I have to come as my responsibility. But I'm not happy to be here for those such things. Um, and that's, that's when we pray, your will be done. That's one of the things that I was talking about there, that we would be following God's commands uh, willfully. Um, and in order for this to happen, when we pray this, it, it relates back to the previous thing, your kingdom come. Because in order for God's will to be, for people to do God's will, they must first become Christians. They must submit themselves to the reign of God. So in order for his will to be done in people's lives, they must first uh, have his kingdom come in their hearts. And when his kingdom comes in their hearts, they will hallow his name. So all of these three petitions about God relate together. They all go right along with each other. Now, we move on to the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this transitions away from praying about God and his will and his name and how glorious he is and what his plans are to our physical necessities. It goes, it goes right from heaven back down to earth here. Now, the first thing I would say about give us this day our daily bread is it's not praying for bigger barns. We're not praying to have more than we already have. We're not the rich young fool in um, Jesus' parable who wanted to take down his barns and build back bigger ones. We're praying for the necessities. And this is along the lines of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, where it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So don't give me riches, because if I'm rich, I have a tendency to... Um, idolize the gift and not the giver. And if I'm poor, I might steal and profane the name of my God. So it's, a, it's just a prayer. Give me what I need, Lord. Um, now, how does this relate exactly to us? Because I don't, there are probably very few in here who have really ever had to sincerely worry about their next meal. I've never had that problem my entire life. I've always been completely confident that I would have a meal. I know for a fact that when I leave here, that we're going to go get some lunch. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not worried about that. Um, so what does it say? Give us this day our daily bread. When we can go to the grocery store and see an infinite amount of bread, more than we could ever possibly buy, how do we sincerely pray, give us this day our daily bread? In America, people are more likely to pray to keep them from eating their next meal because they have not only enough weight for themselves but for two or three other people as well. So there's a sense here where this is not super... Um, it doesn't connect with our hearts. So what is, how does this relate to us? Well, remember, the Lord's Prayer, as it's written here by God, it's not so much to be, pray, to be prayed wrote, to just pray through it like um, a liturgy or something, as much as it is to be used as a template for how we're supposed to pray. Kind of like I have notes here that I'm kind of following, but they don't have every single word I'm going to say. It's just like the major points I want to hit. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. It has the major things that we're supposed to concern ourselves with when we pray. So when we talk, this one right here, give us this day our daily bread, this is an acknowledgement that everything we have ultimately comes from God. So even here in America, we work and we earn money that we buy our food with, yet if God turned off the rain 
or if he caused international events to happen that caused famine, it doesn't matter how much money we have, we, would, we wouldn't be able to buy food if there's no rain to, for the food to grow. So this is an acknowledgement that God is the ultimate source and provider of everything, and that it's ultimately by his grace that we can buy food. So we look at this, and we're just recognizing that God is this, and we're being thankful for it. That's what this is. This is going back, it goes back to God. Everything goes back to God. We're thanking God that he has provided the way for us to have this food and water. It, it goes over all, all the necessities of life this includes. Now, the next petition, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is not saying that God will forgive us our sins because we forgive the sins of other people. This is not, we believe in salvation by grace through faith alone and that we're not saved by works, that Christ died once for all for the saints. So we do not believe that because we've forgiven other people that God will forgive us. That's not what this is saying. This is not talking about the forgiveness that we have when we become a Christian, that one-time forgiveness that moves us from an enemy of God to a, to, to a, a son of God. Because remember, this is, this is a prayer that we're supposed to be repeating on a daily basis. This is our daily prayer outline. So this is talking about... Um, the daily asking of forgiveness of sins that is in the Christian's life. Um, I believe it's First John that says, if we are confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Um, that's talking about daily confessing. We, a Christian is commanded to continually be confessing the sins they have in their life. Now, for, this, this relates very well to the, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Um, Peter wanted to have his whole body washed because he always wants to be different. Um, but Jesus told him that your body's already clean. That the only thing you need is to have your feet washed because they have been dirtied from walking around and coming here. Now, the reason he can say his whole body is already clean is because he is Christian. He said, every, he says, uh, I believe he said that your bodies are already clean except for one, which is Judas, who was not a Christian. He was the one who was the son of perdition who would betray God. So your body being clean symbolizes your salvation. But we still have a sin nature. So as we go through our day-to-day -day life, um, we sin. And asking forgiveness and confessing those sins is the washing of our feet that just keeps us clean and in a relationship with God. Now, this goes back to when David sinned with Bathsheba. Um, he was a Christian, but he had committed a horrible sin. Um, and he was still saved, but the joy and intimacy of his relationship with God was gone. He had lost that. And that's where we get, he wrote a beautiful psalm where he basically just admitted to having done a horrible sin and prayed for forgiveness. And that's how he restored the joint intimacy of his relationship with God. So this is really talking about parental forgiveness that cleanses our consciousnesses and allows us to remain in an intimate relationship with God. And we're supposed to do that on a regular basis, and that's why it's in this prayer. We're supposed to daily be confessing the sins that we have committed. And that's what this is talking about. And then we move on to the last petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the first thing I would say about this is I would quote from James 1, 13, where it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God himself tempts no one. So this does not say that God will tempt you if you don't ask him not to. Okay? That's not, a, that's not an option. Uh, James has made that null. There's no way that can happen. God does not tempt people. What this is more referring to is asking God to give us the strength to endure temptations. He, in his sovereign 
sovereignty will allow us to be tempted. Um, Satan went to God to ask for permission in order to, to try to make Job fall away from God, and God allowed it. He, didn't cause, he was not the active cause of the temptation, but he allowed it to happen. And that's what this is talking about here, that God would protect us, and when those temptations come, that he would give us the strength to endure and to remain faithful, and that he would um, not allow us to be tempted in situations where we, he knows we will fail. And he's promised to do that. He said that uh, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. So he has promised to do this for us, and we just ask him in recognition of that, that he would not allow us to be put into situations where we will fall away from him. And that's what, that's what this prayer is talking about. And then it concludes, for thine is the kingdom, we, all, we call, often conclude, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's just the only logical conclusion. When we look at a prayer and we're praying to a God whose name is worthy to be hallowed, whose will is always done on the earth, yet also commands us to be good and allows us to make the choice what we're going to do there, and whose kingdom comes and who has saved people and his, his kingdom is coming and will return and one day sit on the throne with a rod of iron. And yet, with all this, he still has the time to look after our necessities, um, our food and our physical needs. And, and he forgives us our sins and protects us from being put into situations where we'll fall from him. The only possible way to conclude is for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. It's just a doxology as far as how great our God is. And that's the perfect conclusion to this. Let's pray.